Well, if you would, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew, I mean Mark, chapter 14, verses 43. Mark 14, 43. Um, when you look at the, the crucifixion and death of Christ, uh, what you get is there's an account, there's an account in all four Gospels of this. Um, so I, as I look through this and I, I read all the different accounts this week, and um, you really get different uh, perspectives on all four of them. So I, I'm just gonna, I'm not going to be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I picked this one because there's the shortest amount of verses in all of them, uh, and it was pretty detailed. So uh, excited about it this morning, and as we get ready and we look at this, I know there's a lot of reading we're going to do, but we're going to break it up in sections. Um, but when you look at the death of Christ, there's a lot that happened. Um, and what we're going to pick up this morning, if you're looking at 43, is the betrayal and the arrest of Christ. Um, and just to give you a little understanding of where this is in time, is last week we did the Lord's Supper. We, uh, we looked at that scripture. We looked at uh, Christ and the disciples. They were in the upper room and they were taking of the Passover meal. And when they partake of this Passover meal, then the Lord, uh, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And then after that, they left, they went, they sang a hymn. And then Jesus goes to the garden in Gethsemane uh, and he takes three of the, the disciples with him and he goes and he prays and he asks God to let this cup pass by, but his will be done, not his own. And he did this three times and every time he came back, the disciples were asleep. And the third time he comes back, he, he, he tells them pretty much to forget it for the hour is near. That the hour is here. And that's what we pick up here. Is that, that the betrayal of Christ. Um, but before we get to any of it, I really just want us to understand the biggest and the, the, the most important point this morning is that the death, and, and next week we'll look at the resurrection, but this right here is where our hope lies. It lies in nothing else. It, lies in, it, it doesn't lie in our own strength, our own works, our own ability. We are saved through Christ and Christ alone because what he has went through. And I'm not going to, this morning, I'm not going to cover all of the Old Testament references and all of that. But I am going to give us a little bit of understanding of what's going on when we get to certain parts. But if you would, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to start with verse 43. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. And we thank you so much for this day, God. And um, Though this is just a horrific moment that we're about to read about, where our fathers, our, our, the God, the Son, has stepped out of heaven, as He was planned before all times, He stepped out of heaven, He lived about 33 years on this life, and then He was betrayed by one that was closest to Him. And God, that the death and the, everything He went through was just horrible, God. And though this is such a horrible moment, God, this is a moment that we have, we have hope in. This is a moment that changed everything for us. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you that when you see us now, God, if we have come to know you, you see the blood of Christ and not the man or woman that stands before you. And God, I thank you for that. And I just pray as we cover so many verses this morning, God, that you express what you have for us this morning to each and every one of us in your son's holy name amen verse 43 and immediately while he was speaking judas came one of the twelve and with him a crowd with the swords and the clubs from the chief priests to the scribes to the elders 
Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away. The one will leave and seize this man and lead him away under guard. And when he had came, he went up with him once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant and the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a, rob, uh, against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scripture be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. So, <coughs> to begin with, what we see is that, that Jesus, he's, he, he, Judas is the one that portrayed him. And Jesus foretold this earlier, and we looked at that last week in Judas. He told the men that he says, look, the one I go and I kiss, that's the one that you are to take. That's the one that, that you are to capture. So Judas, he goes and he kisses uh, Jesus on the, the cheek, and he says, Rabbi. And when he says this, he's calling him teacher. So in this moment, he, he's leading to Christ's death, but he's still calling him great teacher. And this man that, that, was, that traveled with Christ for years. It's the one that portrayed him here. And then we see this idea that the, one of the people with him, most likely one of the disciples, cut off a man's ear. And we don't see in this account, but what we understand to be true is that Jesus healed that man beforehand, uh, after it all happened, before he left. Uh, but we don't see that in this scripture, and you see it in other places. But Jesus, the big point of all of this is Jesus looks at him and he says, you come to me like I'm a robber. You come to me at night when I, I've been in the temple teaching in the bride of the day and you come to me uh, in, in the darkness of the night and you come to me in hiding. He says, but let's let scripture be fulfilled. That everything that we see, and that's one point I want to make in all of this, is all of this has happened because this is the way that God has planned it to happen. And you see this connection even when you look in the Old Testament and you look at the way that animals were sacrificed, a lot of it lines up with exactly how Christ died. But then if you would, let's skip to verse 53. And we're going to read through 65. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and was sitting with the guards and warming himself about the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood by for, uh, stood and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will rebuild it, but made with, uh, with hands. Yet even about this testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What does this man testify against you? But he remembered, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, um, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blaspheming. What is your decision? And all of them condemned him and deserving to death. And some began to spit on him to cover his face and strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. 
So what we see is that Christ, after he is arrested uh, in the night uh, falsely uh, against the law, uh, after he is arrested in this manner, they take him and he stands before the, all of the Jewish leaders of this day. And they, they ask the people there to, to testify against Christ. And what we see in that is that they had nothing against him. They had no reason to cause death until they asked him the question, are you the Christ? Christ knew what he was doing when he answered the way he did. And he did it in such a way saying that he was going to be on the right hand of the Father. And it is true, that is where Christ is today. But Christ answered and he knew what was about to happen. But he stood firm and he did. And he answered the question truthfully. But this right here, it enraged the people. It enraged them so much that we see that they even they began to throw the cloak over their head, his head and they would beat him. And what, what other testaments you see is that they would put this, they put this cloak over his head and one would strike him and they would say, tell me which one did it. Prophesy to me which one hit you. They were mocking Jesus in this. And the mocking began even before the, the trial of Christ before the Roman guard. What we see is that they were mocking Jesus even at this point that the pain and the sorrow that he went through has already started here. But it's a deep thing here is that his people rejected him. Which he knew would happen, but his people rejected him as, he, as they did in his birth and as they did in his death. Then verse 1 of chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consult, consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of Jews? And he answered, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you, but you make no farther answer. So Pilate was amazed. Christ at this point, is, he, he has said what he had to say. And what we see in Scripture that he, uh, in Isaiah, that the, the, silent sheep would, sheep, the silent sheep would be led to the slaughter. And this is Christ. That after Christ had said what he had to say, he was silent at this point. And he, was, he, he went to his death uh, in honor. And he went to this in, in a purpose, in a plan for us. And, but what we see is that they, they bring him to Pilate. And Pilate talks to him. And we're about to see that he, he, he delivered to Pilate to be crucified. And then verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner from whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, uh, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest was delivering him up. And but the chief priests stirred up the crowd, having them released for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again asked them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate to them, Why? What evil has this has he done? And they shouted out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas. And having scorched Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So in, in this part of the story, what we see is that Christ is, he is standing there before uh, the crowds and he's with uh, Pilate and Barabbas possibly was right beside him. And, and Pilate, it was a custom in this time period during this certain feast, they would release one prisoner. 
That they would let one of them go, that they would let go of all their, their, their debt to society and they would forgive them and they would go out into the world like nothing has ever happened. And Pilate is doing this like he always would and he's got Barabbas on one side and he's got Christ on the other and Pilate is standing before the crowd and says, who do you want me to release? Who do you want me to let go and go back into society? Do you want the king of the Jews or do you want Barabbas? And to understand who Barabbas was, he was this murderer. He was this, he was this thief. He was this sinful, wretched man that had hurt people. Then you had Christ, and in all of his life, all he ever did was heal people and, and cause issues with this, the people of the area. All he ever did was he would, he would step on people's toes. That's why they wanted him dead, pretty much. They were jealous. Like, like Pilate said, that they were envious of Christ. And so well, they stood before them, they asked the crowd, who should, who should I let go? And they say, Barabbas. And then they, he asked, what should I do with Jesus? What should I do with the Christ? What should I do with the King of the Jews? And they yell out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. When I think about this story, this is just, to me, this is the pinnacle of it all. This is where it really hurts. That Christ is this perfect and holy individual. This is God himself stepped out of heaven and he is standing before his own people and they decide to let this horrific man go instead. But then when I really think about this and I really think about what is going on here and what this means to us today, this is what God did. He looked at us. He looked at us as Barabbas. He looked at us as this sinful, wretched individual that is full of, of hatred and, and, and all of these sins. And he looked at us and then he looked at his son, this perfect, holy individual, and he said, crucify him. See, in Genesis chapter 3, verses that I read this morning is that, Christ, that God had ordained Christ to be the sacrifice for us. That after seeing God had ordained Christ to be the one to save us. And so when Christ was on the cross, we're going to talk about this in a minute, that God poured his wrath out on him. The wrath that we deserve, the wrath that we deserve still today. And so in this moment, what we see is that his people reject him and turn their back against him. They scream, crucify him, crucify him. And this is what happens. But then at the end of this little section in verse 15, it says, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scorched Jesus, he delivered him out to be crucified. So Pilate, he just, he won't keep the peace. So he lets them kill Jesus. But this one little word here uh, is something we don't really see in the account of Christ's death. Is this word scorched. Uh, and I may be pronouncing that wrong. I don't know. But really what that means is beaten. And that's what we see in Isaiah 53 where it says that by his stripes we are healed. And when you read, uh, when you look at, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ or some of these other movies out there, you see this moment in the story where Christ would have been tied to this post and beaten by a sword of uh, instruments, that's what that is right there, is that Christ was beaten to almost to his death. And then he was ready to be mocked and to be sent down to be crucified. But you don't see that in this account of the gospel. It's not detailed, so I wanted to point that out. But then after this, after this beating, after all of this pain and sorrow that Christ had already been through, where he's been rejected, he's been beaten, he's been spat upon, he's been mocked. And then you see once again in verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace that was the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole platoon. 
So they called together a bunch of people, a bunch of men, and they called them together, the whole platoon, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail the king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes back on him and led him out to be crucified him. What we see there is that these platoon, these Roman citizens, these Roman guard, they got Jesus together in a room. They twisted the crown of thorns. And these wasn't like a rose thorns that we have today, right? With these thorns right there. Y'all know how bad them things hurt? I was doing some yard work. They hurt bad. But this would have been something about this long that would have went into Christ's head. So they spin this thing together. They put it on his head. And it was so bad that they had to do it with a rod. They stuck it on his head with a rod. And then, then they begin to spit on him. And they begin to kneel to him. And they kneel to him saying, You're the king of the Jews. They, they pay homage to him. They, it's like a respect thing. But that's not what they were doing. They weren't kneeling to him because he was the God that created the earth. They weren't kneeling to him because he was the savior for mankind. They were kneeling to him because they were mocking him. That in this moment of his death, they were mocking who he was. And this isn't the last time we'll see that. Then verse 21. And they compelled a pass by Simon of Sinai, who was coming in from the country, the father of, Ab of Alexandria and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. I want to pause there. Um, the reason why they got this guy Simon to help him carry this cross is because Christ had already been beaten to the end of his life. Christ would have, at this point, he would have, his, his entire body would have probably have been an open womb. And his strength would have been gone. He wouldn't have ate. He wouldn't have drank anything in all of this time period. And so they get this man to help him carry the cross. And then in verse 22, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. And did he not take it? That right there was a way for the, to ease the pain. They were giving Jesus something to ease the pain. Uh, and he said, no, he didn't take the, the wine. He didn't take the, the wine mixed with the myrrh. He didn't want to ease the pain. He was going through something that he knew he had to. And then verse 24, and they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them. And they decided that he should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription uh, charge against him was the king of the Jews. And where they had crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derived him, raging, they're wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He has saved others, he cannot save himself. Let Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. What we see here is this is the crucifixion of Christ. And this is the moment where they would have probably had the cross laying on the ground and they would have uh, took one hand and they would have nailed it to the side uh, and they would have nailed it, nailed it probably about right here. 
uh, because if it wouldn't hold there, so they would have to go into the wrist and so the bones would hold the nail in. They would, they would have nailed him to that cross. They would have tied him up a little bit and then they would have probably taken the other arm and they would have tied a rope to it and they would have pulled his arm out of socket so that he would lay down flat and they would do the same thing to that hand and then in the middle of the cross, about where the middle of your back is, there would have probably been a hump right there to where it would cause him hard to breathe in this moment. That would make the death slower and more painful. And so they did all this and they would have crossed his legs. They would have nailed him there. And y'all seen this picture before. So I'm not going to try to just explain it in, in groom in groom's just bad detail. But what we see is this is the moment where Christ is nailed to the cross and he is lifted up. And there's a sign above his head that says the king of the Jews. And this is once again mocking him. And when he did this, we see that the people passing by, they mocked him. What we see is the, the chief of priests, they mocked him. And what we don't see in this story, though, is, is the, the moment where the two thieves are talking on the side of Christ. Where one becomes a follower and one do, doesn't. We don't see that story here where we see that one comes to Christ because he says, today I'll see you in paradise. But this is the moment where, where Christ is, he, he is nailed to the cross and he is lifted up on this hill so that all of the city could see him. Then, in 33... And when the sixth hour had come, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Sabbath, I can't pronounce that well, I'm sorry. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with a sour wine and they put it on a reed and gave it to him drinking, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And when Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the, certain of the, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the top from the bottom. And when he came to the centurion who stood facing him and saw that this is the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There was also a woman looking from a distance among them who married Madeline and married the mother of James, the younger uh, of Joseph and Salem. When he was uh, in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And they were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is the moment where Christ is he's on the cross and he's, he, he, he says this word. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then it says that he take his last breath. Christ is in this middle of his death, and this is the only negative thing we see that he has to say throughout of all scripture. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm gonna to get to that in a minute. I'm gonna read the story and then I'm gonna talk about it. But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That this is what God did. He forsake Christ on the cross. But we'll talk about it in just a second. And then what we see is that this man, this, this soldier stood before Christ. He'd come to this understanding that this was the Christ. And what we don't see in this story is when Christ's side was pierced by the sword, uh, by the spear. That was most likely this gentleman that did that. That's why when you see these movies, it depicts this guy kneeling down before Christ. But then we see that Mary Madeline and Mary Christ's mother is at a distance. 
Then verse 42. And when evening had come, and since it was the, the day of the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Omethia, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. In the summing of the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned that the centurion that he was dead, he granted the course to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taken him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the centrum of the tomb. Mary Madeline and Mary the mother Joseph, Jesus saw where he was laid. And then we see in other stories that they, they at this point, they even put Roman guards in front of the tomb because they were afraid that the disciples were going to go and take his body at the middle of the night so that they would say that he was risen from the dead. But what we see in all of this, and I know I've read a lot and I've talked a lot, but what we see in all this, this is the death of Christ. And I didn't want to skip any of it because all of this is important. Everything that Christ went through in the last day of his life was such an important aspect of what we see. And I could have went in detail. You could preach months and months on this and looking at all of the Old Testament references and all of that. But what we see in all of this is ultimately that Christ was beaten, mocked, hung on the cross and died for our namesake. But I want to go back to this idea where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the moment of Christ's death and and this isn't a pretty picture to think about, so I'm sorry, but in the moment of his death, what happened is that God was pouring out his wrath for sin onto Jesus. The sin that we have, the debt that we have brought, that, that every sin that is ever committed on this earth was being uh, answered for on Christ on that day of his death. And so in this moment of Christ's death, what had to happen was God had to look away from his son in the most horrific moment of his life and to pour his wrath out on him. This is what happened. And Christ is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the thing about this is that God and, and Jesus, they had always been together. You see in Genesis chapter 1 that, that God spoke everything into existence. And John 1, 1 and 1, 16 tells us that that was Christ. That God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, they have been in perfect harmony since the beginning of time. And in this moment, Christ was by himself. He was separated from the Father for the first time ever in his life. And by his life, I mean for all of eternity, that the father had to look away. And when I think about this, when I think about what this means, and I, I don't want to make this a sad moment, but it is. I think about our lives. What if in your life, and I know this is, this is not a good situation, but what about in your life? If everything that could go wrong went wrong. Everything that was horrific, you lost everything you have. Think about Job's life, okay? Job, lost, he lost everything. He lost his family, his friends, his wealth, his possessions. He lost everything. Imagine that was you. Except for that one person that means the world to you. That one person that's always been there for you. That one person that, that if, if, if something was wrong, you could go to them and you could talk to them. And what if they had nothing to do with it? The world is ending as you know it. 
And that one person that you can always hold on to, they look away from you and they have nothing to do with you. See, the agony that Christ went through was that. That in His horrific moment, in the moment that was worse than anything we could ever imagine, when the whole wrath of God was poured out upon Him, God had to look away. But let's look at the other side of it. I want to appeal to your side as parents. See, God the Father, John 3, 16 says that He sent His only begotten Son. So what we see is that God sent His only Son to do this too. What about you as a parent? What about your kid was going through everything? All the pain, the sorrow, the suffering. And how much pain would it cause you to not be able to be there for? To not be able to help them in that moment. To to look at them and have to turn away to the other side. It wouldn't be. It would be this horrific thing. It would be horrible that we would ever have to even imagine this. But this is what God has done for us. That Christ, knowing what His death would be like, took it anyway. And that God, knowing what He would have to do to His Son, did it anyway because of who we are. Because He loves us so dearly that He wants a relationship with us. And He has done this so that we can be saved and have salvation in Him and Him alone because nothing else would work. Anything short of what Christ would have went through would not have been it. Because he answered the prophecy of the Old Testament in his death. So as we look at this story, it's a heavy story. It's a sad story. But what I want us to know, there's the story that is the most loving story we'll ever hear. Because God loved us that much. God loved us so much that he did this to himself. And he did this to his son so that we can be saved. And what he asks for in return is that when he calls us to salvation, we respond. And then when we respond to salvation, we live for him. But so often when we think about the death of Christ, we don't think about it as a whole. We don't think about everything we went through, he went through. So often when we think of the cross, we think of that, the, uh, and I don't mean anything negative to this, but we think about the pretty little cross that we put up in our house or in the church or on our, ring, our necklace, but we don't really think about the pain and the sorrow that went through. Scripture tells us that cross was a curse. It was a curse that, t- that he took for us. It was a curse that we deserved. See, that moment where God looked away from Christ and he... Christ felt so forsaken and so alone. That's what hell is going to be like. That's what that's going to be like. Because God's spirit won't be there. Just his wrath. Just his wrath. That's what Christ went through on the cross. This morning, the big thing that I have to ask is, where do you stand in that? Has you been covered by that blood? Have you been covered by the grace and the mercy that Christ has paid? In a second, we're going to sing this song, and I'm not going to try to sing it, but it's Jesus paid it all. That's right, right? Yeah, Jesus paid it all. And that's exactly what happened. But where do you stand in it? Have you accepted that payment? Have Have you allowed that to cover your life? And if you have, are you living the way that you should, knowing that he's done this? 
knowing that He's went through this. See, so often we live our life for ourselves, but God has done something greater than we could ever imagine, and Christ allowed it to happen. He could have stopped it just like they were mocking Him about, but He didn't. Have you been covered by the blood? And are you living like you have been? Heavenly Father, come now. I thank you for this day, God. More importantly, I thank you for these two chapters that we read, God, that, that just express to us what it is you went through. What it is you sent your son through. What it is this Christ as a five-year-old child would have known that he was going to go through. And I thank you for it. God, I know it's a heavy statement. It's a heavy sermon. But God, let us understand what it really means that you died for us. It wasn't a happy-go-lucky death. Christ didn't die of old age, but he had died the death that all of us deserve. And we thank you for it. In your son's holy name, amen. You would stand.